This series is Living Hope. Jesus is our living hope. There's many ways we celebrate. One of them is through stories and baptisms. Last night we had two that were baptized, two people. They're girls in our high school ministry. You think about the next generation. It was Hannah and Elizabeth making the decision. They grew up in a Christian home, but they made their own decision to follow Jesus, dedicate their lives to serving Jesus, and we celebrate with them. And then next service, uh, two more people are going to get baptized. That's Jason who started off life in Grace Community Church, did not follow Jesus, drifted, stepped away from church, got involved in drugs and alcohol. He says, profoundly unhappy and realized he needed God. He turned to God, put his trust in Jesus. He's sober, he's at grace now, and he loves the Lord. Complete turnaround. So we celebrate what God is doing. And also John, during the pandemic, uh, John was realizing how lonely he was in life and reached out to his sister and said, what do you think I should do? And she said, check out Grace Community Church. And so during the pandemic, John got connected here at church. He's made a decision now to put his trust in Jesus, and he has the joy of the Lord in his life, and he's going to get baptized as well next service. We thank God how he is changing lives. All the glory is to Jesus. Jesus is our living hope. We all have a relationship with him. We want to grow in our faith together. And if you're here and you haven't put your trust in Jesus, maybe you'll be inspired to check out who he is and realize that he gives living water that truly satisfies the deepest places in our lives. And we are in the book of 1 Peter. You can open up your Bibles or turn in your phone to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to cover seven verses today, and we're going to look at seven important marriage questions. As we go through this book verse by verse, this message today runs right into marriage. We're going to talk about the home, and there's a lot to unpack. I want to say that truth brings freedom. Jesus is the truth, and he really wants to set us free in so many ways. We also need God's healing, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, how you change our lives. You transform us. Jesus, we thank you that you're working in all of our lives to draw us closer to you, to make us more like you. And that's our joy. That's our joy. And God, we pray in our relationships, uh, whether single or married here today, Lord, there's relationships that need your touch, your presence, your leadership, your wisdom, your strength. We pray that you bring healing, restoration. God, we pray that our hearts wouldn't be hard. Our wills wouldn't be so rebellious but instead we would say yes to you today in these important relationships. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To what degree will you let God shape your view of marriage? Search your heart today, and really in your relationship with God, to what degree will you let God shape your view of marriage? God is the designer of marriage. Marriage is a gift. It's the most intimate human relationship. And one of the themes of marriage is submission. There's a vertical submission to God, that's first, and there's also a submission to the person who you're married to. There's a mutual, horizontal submission. The irony in marriage is it's often the area of our lives where we're the most stubborn. At the crux of marriage is submission, and yet we sometimes insist on stubbornness and in our culture even trying to reconstruct marriage and God's design. Because the theme is submission in marriage, I'm going to submit to you two possible 
uh, we talk about the main idea of the message, two possible options. I'm going to read both of them. Here's the first one. You can think about which one you want to choose. It's a little choose-your-own-adventure here today. The first one, honoring Jesus is the only way people will see Jesus in your marriage. This is a little more declarative and proclaiming the ultimate goal of marriage is to know Jesus and for people to see the love of Jesus through a marriage. Here's the second one. This one's a little more prophetic. It's the prophet saying Christians are being duped right now, being deceived, and settling for the world's version of marriage instead of the fullness of marriage and what God intends. So I'm going to let you choose how many, and there's similar meanings, different ways to say it. How many people want the first one for the main idea? Just raise your hand if you want the first one. Okay. And how about the second one? All right, kind of similar to last night, the first one. Not too many prophets in the room. Let's go with the first one. Honoring Jesus is the only way people will see, truly see Jesus in your marriage. Now, Peter is writing this letter, and Peter's married. He's one of the apostles who's married. He understands marriage. It's not just a theory. He's in a marriage. He understands the highs and lows of marriage, and he also understands what it's like to have God at the center of a marriage. And he's writing to scattered and persecuted Christians, followers of Jesus in these five regions in Asia Minor today, northern Turkey. And it's interesting because back then they didn't have a big church building and kind of a hub like we have. And what they're experiencing is something we're reminded of during this pandemic. We're reminded that following Jesus is far more about relationships than a building or programs. We're reminded that it's not just in the walls of the church that we walk with God, but what's really important is at home, whether you're single or married. The environment at home, the spiritual vibrancy at home is essential. We're reminded from this persecuted church that uh, we need to be on mission together, where we live, work, learn, or play, abiding with Jesus. This is healthy. This is biblical. But sometimes it's easy to slip in the mentality of, okay, just in this building programs one day a week. Peter's going to move into the home in this part of the letter. He's going to go from preaching to meddling. And let me ask you, what is the spiritual condition of your home? Again, whether you're single or married, what's the spiritual condition, vibrancy, culture, where you live, what is it like? And what do you want it to be like? Peter's heart here is to help marriages to be thriving. And what we've seen in the last year during this pandemic, sadly, we've seen a lot of divorces in our country, a lot of threats, a lot of separation, a lot of tension in marriages. As a pastor, I can't remember a year where it feels like every week there's another marriage to pray for or care for or uh, reach out to or counsel. And so people are really going through it right now in marriage across the board more than usual. And my heart is to build up to strengthen. And uh, that's what Peter's design here is. They have a lot of persecution in the culture. And he's saying, but here's something that is core in terms of the family. And you know what? It can be healthy. Even in the midst of all the mistreatment in the culture, Peter's saying this marriage can be healthy. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was seven years old. And I know the pain, not of being involved in a divorce uh, firsthand, but I know the pain of being a child. And I know how many times that's affected me on so many levels for so many years and how much healing I've needed from God. And Peter, I think, with, with a similar care and passion to have healing and closeness in marriage and for families, uh, he's writing this letter. And I think it's with the pastor's heart he's writing this. And you say, well, how, how could this happen? How can we have marriages that are really thriving even in difficult times? Well, the only way it's going to happen is God's presence. 
doing things God's way, God's leadership, God's wisdom. That's the only way marriage works. Marriage doesn't work when we try to do it on our own strength and our own ways or try to grab the steering wheel. It doesn't flourish. And I think it would be fitting for this time in our nation. I mean, when you look across the board and say, okay, half the marriages in our country end in divorce, and you look at all the pain, I think we don't need to wait any longer in this area of our lives as a nation to say, God, would you please help us? God, we need you at home. We need you in our marriages. What's designed to be the most intimate relationship, God, we need your help with our preferences, our stubbornness, our sin, our independence, our wills, our critical spirit. We need your help in our home. And I'll tell you, if we have that posture, that humble posture, God heals, God restores. Can't tell you how many couples have come and said, it's over, it's done. And then returning to Jesus, what happens? You return to Jesus and there's returning to each other. And families are restored that maybe don't want to talk or see each other. There's restoration. And so let's dive into this passage, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to look at seven important marriage questions. And I'm going to read the first six verses. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives... That's when they're won over. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, in those six verses, there's a lot of things that have been misunderstood in this passage. So we need to clarify some important pieces here. And then also notice there's a lot of stuff that's countercultural. So there's going to be things that you hear and say, wait a second, this isn't what I usually see in our culture. And you might even feel like, here's some things I don't really like that much initially. All of that is wrapped up in these verses. Let's take on the first question. And I'm going to start, I'm thinking about uh, people who are single, not married, and marriage starts before marriage. Marriage starts before marriage. I didn't get married until I was mid-30s, and I have a heart uh, for singles because as a single, I sat through so many messages on marriage, and they were helpful. They prepared me in many ways, but I also thought, okay, are we going to get some messages about being single? Uh, Because over half our country is unmarried, and so the majority are not married, and sometimes, sadly, in churches, singles can kind of feel like second rate. That should never be. No person who's unmarried is ever second rate. And if any church even presents that message in any way, it's wrong. It's wrong. When you think about uh, people who are not yet married, uh, it could be they're not yet married, or it could be they've married and maybe they're a widow or they've gone through a divorce. Uh, There's some people who are called to be single their entire life, and it's a glorious calling. If you don't think that's a glorious calling, it was the calling on Jesus' life. Jesus was never married. And there's many advantages in terms of the kingdom and living for God if you're single. Single is not, okay, I guess that's the other option. No, if you're single right now, you're called to be single right now and live in the fullness of God's plan. 
So the question is, what is God's plan if you are single? And I want to highlight in the Bible that being single, it's a time of discovery. Because the Bible says when you get married, the two become one. There's a coming together and a oneness. And it's easier when, before you're married to really discover, okay, what is my character? What is my personality? What is my calling? What are my gifts? And what's my identity? Uh, again, I didn't get married until a little later, and that time was helpful for me uh, to realize who I am in Jesus and get secure in my identity before getting married. But there's no certain age you should or shouldn't get married. I'm just saying there are some benefits to being single in terms of discovering who you are and knowing that when you come together as one. Also, marriage uh, brings about some different responsibilities. First Corinthians chapter 7. If someone's married, they're thinking about their spouse all the time. What do they need? Uh, they're thinking about caring if they have kids for the family. And there's a lot of different people to consider when you're single. There's a little more single-minded focus on the Lord. That's First Corinthians chapter 7. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, there was an advantage of being single because I could focus on scripture and I could stay up late at night or sometimes travel or serve in different ways where married uh, families in seminary, they had so many more things they were juggling, and I really got to dive in to some areas being single. So there's discovery, there's focus, there's also a time of conviction. You need to know what you believe before you get married. Uh, what do you believe about the Scripture? I hope that before you get married, you know that you know that God's Word is reliable in our true source, and you want to live it. That's an important conviction before you get married. Uh, it's an important conviction to say, I want a Christian marriage. I want to do marriage how God says to do marriage. That's a conviction. It was a conviction uh, for me that when I get married, we're going to go to church every weekend. Now you say, well, I'm a pastor. Yeah, that's true. But uh, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd say that was the conviction. The conviction is we're going to tithe in our family. We're going to give a tenth off the top to the church and beyond that and pray about that. But that was a conviction. Our money is going to be the Lord's money and we're going to give joyfully off the top. There was a conviction that we're not going to sleep together until marriage. And I know, and I know, and I know the percentages are so small on that conviction, but I'm telling you that's biblical. That's to protect you. That is good if you're single and trust the Lord with that purity and don't even come close to crossing that line and get rid of pornography and just live what you cultivate as a single, you, you really reap in terms of being married. And so have that time of conviction where you honor the Lord ultimately when you're single and when you're married. Here's the key. Let the Lord lead. Let the Lord lead. Trust his leadership. Trust his word. And when you do that, there's going to be great fruit. And when you cultivate that, when you're single and you step into marriage, it's hard to just get married and turn on the switch and all of a sudden turn it all around. No, you cultivate it being single and then you come together. Marriage starts before the marriage. So I wanted to emphasize that from scripture. Here's the second question. And you probably noticed the word submit, submission. And in your mind, maybe you're thinking, how is submission good? Because when we hear the word submission, it's not something we're usually excited about. It's not something that we think of the positives. Uh, to submit means to yield, and when you're driving, you submit frequently. You don't want a collision. You don't want a wreck. You don't want a fender bender. So you yield. You wisely yield. To yield includes respect and joy. Our main submission is to God. 
That's our primary submission. If we don't submit to God, we're probably not going to submit well to other people. But if we submit well to God, then submitting to other people is going to flow out of that relationship. We submit to God with respect, with joy. And in the Bible, there's a mutual submission. Husband and wives submitting to one another. Now, in this passage, you notice, and in Scripture, uh, for the wife, there's kind of a highlighting of submission. And not just here in this letter, but let's also look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is a classic passage on marriage. Spend some time in Ephesians 5 this week, and this is what Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. To submit does not mean you're inferior. It does not mean inferiority. Uh, To submit is wise. It shows respect. It's unto the Lord. And to submit, uh, that is going to be something that's going to go against (laughs) a lot of times what you want to do. Uh, So this is really worship. There's sacrifice in submission together as well. Uh, When you think about um, submitting, there's a great need for it in the marriage. But marriage is a partnership of two equal people, two equal value, two that have equal worth, two equals. But in Scripture, we also notice that there's a role where the man has responsibility. This word head includes some responsibility and some leadership. And you can't just look past that as well. What do you do in terms of application with that truth? What I would say is that you choose your spouse very prayerfully and carefully. Would you agree it's the second most important decision in your life? I mean, after following Jesus, who you marry, if you're a a man, you really want to pray about who is going to, you know, trust me in, in leading this person and we can do life together as partners, If you're a wife, you really want to prayerfully consider, is this person a solid leader? Because if this person isn't a solid leader, where's our marriage going to go? And both husband and wife prayerfully considering who they marry. Now the reference here is a daughter of Sarah, and it's highlighted that she put her hope in God. This is a woman that has her hope in God, that's trusting God. She's going to say yes to her husband as they journey together. She's going to say yes as she leaves what's familiar in her culture and even family. There might be times in a marriage where you leave and you go to the other part of the country. Lori and I got married in Iowa, and the day after the wedding, we were on our way for a new job, a new position in California, and there was that leaving. Also, she had a child at age 90. That's a lot of trusting the Lord right there. Uh, What's not said is a daughter of Eve. Now, Eve had many strengths, but what we also notice about Eve is that she had a my way. We're going to do this my way. And she wasn't listening to God. She started listening to the devil. Who you're listening to is really important. She started to listen to the devil and as a result, unintentionally undermined the marriage. And when you insist on doing it my way, you can unintentionally undermine the marriage. Eve didn't think, oh, I'm going to take this poison. It's going to destroy the marriage. It's going to be great. That's not what she did. She just ran ahead and said, I'm going to do it my way, unintentionally undermining the marriage. Again, submission includes sacrifice. Love includes sacrifice. And even worship to God includes sacrifice. Sacrifice is part of love. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice to have a healthy marriage. That's not always said in the Hallmark cards. 
It takes a lot of sacrifice for a marriage to be healthy. If people don't want to sacrifice, if people want to be selfish, you're just not going to have the same kind of union and joy in the marriage. And again, we look to Jesus. Jesus submits. Jesus submits to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Jesus submits to the Father, always checking in in prayer. Father, what's the plan? What's your will? Uh, Jesus is submitting to the Word of God. He doesn't sin. And Jesus submits to the point of the cross, murder, becoming sin. There's a full submission. And that's our Savior. We serve, we sacrifice, and we submit. That's part of marriage. And Jesus always has the peace of God during this time of, of submitting. Priscilla Shire is a well-known teacher in our country, and I had the honor of going to seminary with her. You could see her fire and her love for the Lord. And this is what she says about the peace of God. Peace is the deep inner eternal stability that the believer possesses by virtue of relationship with Jesus. It's also the quality that enables us to live harmoniously with other people. When you have the peace of God in your heart, there's a harmony in relationships. If you don't have the peace of God from abiding with Jesus, it's going to affect all the relationships. So our first calling is to God, to his peace, abide with Jesus, and the marriage will be blessed. Let's go to the next question. What if your spouse does not follow Jesus? That situation was brought up by Peter, and apparently it was happening quite a bit. Here's a couple different ways to look at that. First of all, if you're dating someone and you follow Jesus and they're not following Jesus, they don't know the Lord, then very clear in Scripture, don't get married. The Bible says unequally yoked. Someone who loves Jesus, follows Jesus, should not get married to someone who rejects Jesus. And I want to tell you, I've met with a lot of couples over the years that have been in this situation. And a lot of times the follower of Jesus will say, I've just been waiting so long for marriage. I'm so excited about marriage. It just feels so good. It just feels like so many good things are there except the Jesus part. And my advice and counsel is always the same. Don't get married. Don't get married. And very few people listen to that and say, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm going to honor God's word. But I'll tell you what happens uh, after they get married, the follower of Jesus will come back to me, sometimes a year later, sometimes five years later, sometimes ten years later. And I just got one recently, and they said, I didn't listen to you, but what you spoke, keep speaking it. It's not what I wanted to hear. I didn't like it, but I want to tell you about my marriage. I'm making you know, the best of the marriage, but I'll tell you, there's a loneliness and a pain in the marriage that I didn't anticipate. And for Jesus to be first in my life and not be able to share that with my spouse, to not be able to read the Bible together, pray together, worship together, go to church together, in terms of raising the kids, the kids are seeing him and the kids are seeing me, and now the kids have to make a decision, am I going dad's way or this way? We're not united on this, and it's painful. When it comes to morals, when it comes to values or conflict resolution, we're just not on the same page ultimately. We don't have the same truth source, and, and it's, it's painful. I'm staying with it, but it's painful. And I think it's important to listen to those realities because a lot of people say, oh, I know they don't love Jesus, but I'm going to change them. They're, I'm going to change them. They're going to change. I just know it. They're going to change right away. Let me ask you, how easy is that in marriage to change your spouse? <laughs> is that your focus in marriage to change your spouse? Uh, you know, let's just walk with the Lord. What about if the situation is that you're married to someone now who doesn't follow Jesus? 
And it's very clear, stay married. Stay married if your spouse doesn't know Jesus. Back then, many people were coming to know Jesus. Let's say two people are married, they don't know Jesus, and all of a sudden one of them decides to follow Jesus and says, well, what should I do? Stay married, stay married. Sadly, in that culture, the man had total authority. It was Roman custom, Roman culture, and so this is how it would play out. If the man, if the husband became a Christian, the whole family would go to church because that man had authority. And if he's going to church and he's following Jesus, he would say the whole family needs to come. If a lady came to know Jesus, a wife came to know Jesus, she wasn't even allowed to go to church because so often the husband would say, nope, no one's going, no one's going. And that's how it played out. And that wasn't a healthy culture. I mean, that's a sick culture, but I'm just describing the culture. And what do you do if your husband or wife is just not quite there spiritually? This is what the Bible says. Don't just start preaching up sermons every day. Don't start preaching at them. The Bible says you're going to win them over far more than words by the way you live. Because they're with you every day. They can see you if there's change. They can see if there's tenderness. They can see if there's kindness. They can see if there's authenticity. They can see if you step it up and help around the house. Or they can see whatever. They can see what's going on. So live a pure life. Uh, let Jesus in. Sometimes there'll be a spouse that doesn't know Jesus and they'll say, you know, my spouse knows Jesus, but I don't really see any difference. And it's kind of like, yeah, I describe it as like a big house and there's a lot of rooms and that person has a lot of rooms where the door's shut and the Holy Spirit doesn't have access and maybe there isn't a big difference in fruit. The only way there's a difference is if you open up your life, open up the gates of every part of your life and say, come in, Holy Spirit, and take over. And when that happens, you're living by the Spirit and there's fruit and your spouse will notice, your spouse will be drawn to that grace and get a picture of God through your actions. And then one more question that comes, what is true beauty? And Peter's talking about an outer beauty and an inner beauty. Our culture is fixed. Our culture is obsessed and consumed with outer appearance, outer beauty, the money, the products, the time, the sales, the advertising. It's this obsession with the outer appearance, and it really uh, minimizes the inward condition and the inward beauty. Outer beauty, inward beauty. Uh, when you think about those, Peter describes the outward. And Proverbs 31 says, beauty is fleeting. Beauty fades in life, uh, the outside. But charm is also can be deceptive. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And you say, well, what about outward beauty? Peter describes some options here. These are not wrong. These are just fine. Braided hair, sure, if you want to braid your hair. Fine clothes, if you got dressed up today, great if you want to do that. Gold jewelry, sure, you can put on whatever jewelry or gold jewelry. However you want to look on the outside, there's lots of options. It's not wrong, it's not bad. This passage is not a guilt treatment. If you got dressed up today, that's just great. That's just great, that's just fine. If you didn't, that's okay, just come as you are. The emphasis is not the outward appearance. That is so secondary or tertiary or however much you want to compare it to the inside. But this inner condition, this inner beauty, this hope in the Lord, this trusting the Lord, uh, this peace, this gentleness. Now, sometimes the outward and the inward come together. There's four couples here that we got pictures that perfect harmony. 
You see on the outside, you see the outward adornment, and then on the inside. Both. You can have both. It's not either or. Here's another picture right here. See that? that? That's intentional. That didn't happen by accident right there. And you see the outward. Let's take a look at this couple. What do you think? Does this work? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. Stretching it. And uh, there's a lot of couples now that they all get in their pajamas. Have you noticed that? And they get that picture of the pajamas. Our family has not done that yet. Don't give my wife that idea. Okay, let's keep going. There's one more. Look at that. Outward, inward. So you really can have it all. Outward and inward. Husband and wife. Perfect harmony. It's important to have a picture of that. But this inner gentle spirit is one. uh, People misunderstand this. You can have a gentle spirit and be strong. You can have a gentle spirit and be direct. You can have a gentle spirit and be honest. The gentle spirit is more about bringing out the best in the other person instead of unintentionally undermining the other person. Bringing out the best in the other person, and God has great, it says, there's great worth in God's sight for this gentle spirit that honors God and honors the other person. Okay, let's move on to the men. Can the ladies say amen? Amen, can we move on to the men? Now, verse seven right here, and guys, just fasten that seatbelt. Verse seven, I, I gotta point this out, I mean, Peter may be trying to be polite, ladies first. I don't know if ladies wanted to go first in this marriage talk. And then it's going to be easier to say, wait a second, six verses on the ladies and one verse on the guys. And uh, sometimes love doesn't count, but I noticed that. I didn't, I didn't miss that. And then also questions. Ladies, you're thinking, well, we just had several questions. Are the guys going to get several questions? Yeah, we got some questions for the guys. Okay, verse seven. Husbands, in the same way. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Here's the question. Men, how are you being considerate? How are you being considerate? God has wired every man to be tender and to be tough. Right? We see it with Jesus. He's tough and he's tender. You're going to be tough sometimes, and you're going to be tender sometimes. The key is, do you know when to be tough, and do you know when to be tender? Sometimes when guys need to be tender, they get harsh. And sometimes when guys need to be tough and stand up, they kind of back down. So when are we tough, when are we tender? Uh, This word considerate, kata gnosin, means according to knowledge. Another way of saying that is be a man of understanding. What does that mean, to be a man of understanding? It means to enter in emotionally and relationally, to do that daily, to be connected on emotional and relational level to understand. Here's the truth of the Bible, that wives want to be pursued. They want to be desired. They want to be known. They want to be cherished. They want to be drawn out. They want to be valued, and they want to be loved. They want to feel that oneness in that connection. And this is convicting as I'm describing it. But I can't help to go back to Adam and say, well, what did Adam do? If Eve was unintentionally undermining, what was Adam doing? Adam was neglecting his wife. In Genesis, you say, where's Adam? Where's Adam? He's not there. Adam's not there. And the temptation for husbands is to neglect their wives in different ways and not treat them in the wonderful way that God 
cares about them so much. And if you ask wives, how are things going? Uh, The ones who are in the most pain will say, I feel alone. I feel alone. That my husband's doing his world, he's off chasing what he chases, and we're not doing it together. I feel alone. Husbands, it's side by side, and it's also face to face. It can't be just a program at home. It's got to be that connection. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. There's a sacrificial love that's daily. There should be daily sacrifices. And then also there's a a leadership there, talking about the word and getting into the word as well. Uh, For a man, unselfishness, unselfishness, that when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about what's best for my family. Not just what do I have to do and what am I going to go after today, but what's truly best today for our family. That's the mindset. And there's one word that maybe caught your attention here. It says that your wife is the weaker. And what does that mean? Because that sounds kind of offensive, right? Like, what does that even mean? Uh, it does not mean that a wife is less intellectual. doesn't mean that. It does not mean that a wife has less value. Doesn't mean that. It does not mean that a wife is less spiritual. Doesn't mean that. And he says, well, what does it mean? And I'll say, I don't know exactly what it means. But this is uh, what, when you look at the Bible scholars, some say it's more of a physical piece. Like if you look at records right now, bench press, 100-meter dash, okay, the men have uh, a little more, uh, well, lower score, I guess, for for races, lower time. You know, So some say it's a little more in the physical realm. um, But others would say in that culture, a woman was more vulnerable because more people abused women, took advantage of women. It was tougher for women to find a job and make it financially. There was just a lot of persecution then for women. And men needed to step up and uh, provide for their wives, protect as well. And I don't know exactly what that word means, but the emphasis here is for the man's uh, protection and involvement and looking out for his wife, caring for his wife in that culture where, again, unfortunately, there was a lot of injustice towards women in that culture. Now, um, I've got to admit, uh, sometimes I get distracted. You know, Lori and I, we went out on a date this week we had a great meal together. I always try to take her out on a date if I'm going to preach on marriage the following weekend. Uh, playing, just playing. We have regular dates. But we enjoyed this meal. And at the end of the meal, uh, Lori had saved part of her meal. And there was chicken. And this, she was excited for what was still left because there was a lot of food. And, and have another meal and have it later on. And she went to the restroom, and then the waitress came, and I gave the credit card, and the waitress came back, and I was just signing on the bill, adding the tip, trying to do math in my brain, and then also along with that, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I picked up my phone, I can't remember it all, but this is what happened. The waitress grabbed the dishes and grabbed Lori's meal and took it all away, and Lori came back from the restroom and said, like, where's the chicken? And I was like, uh... Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, don't have an answer for that. So I stood up and I was like, "Uh, excuse me to the waitress, but do you still have the chicken? And she's like, no, I threw that away. I threw that away. 
Uh, and she said, I can grill you up some new chicken. I looked at Lori, I was like, no. And I should have been more alert. I should have been aware. The waitress came in. The Bible says, I'm going to preach this now. The Bible says the devil roar, roaring around like a lion seeking to devour, to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you're not alert as a man, if you're not alert in the marriage, you will have your chicken stolen. You will have, I'm not saying the waitress is the devil. Don't take the metaphor too far. But you will have your peace stolen. You have your joy stolen. You have the word stolen. You can have a lot stolen. So we need to be alert. I'm just glad my wife gave me chicken grace on the way home. After a little while, I received the chicken grace. So I messed up, but uh, we learned, and it was just one of those little things. Chicken doesn't matter that much, but it was one of those little reminders to stay tuned in to what's going on. And the last question is, how does your marriage affect your prayers? I'd say very directly. I'd say, really? How you treat your wife? affects your prayers very directly. If you ask guys, how's the marriage? Most guys say, it's fine, it's fine. You don't find out how a marriage is going by asking the guy, usually. You find out how a marriage is going by looking at the face of the wife. And her face will tell you the story. You ask a guy and he's just gonna be like, hey, what's up, what's up, hey, and God says, no, we're not playing that way. We're not playing that way. You can't be harsh to your wife, mistreat, neglect your wife, and just think everything's fine with prayer. No, it says here that that's going to affect our prayers. That will affect our prayers. Is there a list in the Bible of different things that affect God hearing our prayers? Yeah, I'm going to read some of them to you. When our motives are off, James chapter 4, verse 3. When we have unconfessed sin in our lives, Psalm 66, 18. When we ignore the people who are poor around us, Proverbs 21, 13. When we don't ask God, James 4, 2. When we ask God things that are not his will, 1 John 5, 14. When we have doubting, James 1, 6. When we have pride, James 4, 6. When we're praying just to impress other people that are listening, Matthew 6, 5. When there's unforgiveness, when we haven't forgiven someone, Mark eleven twenty-five. 25. All of these affect our prayers. All of these affect our prayers. So we want to repent. We need God's help every day. Walk humbly with God and walk humbly with God in marriage. Guys, don't neglect your wives. Sacrifice. Don't be selfish. Seek God together. Lead spiritually. Lead well. You say, what is a Christian marriage? A Christian marriage is a covenant and it's also a culture. I look at verse 8 and I say, this is the culture. This is true in all our relationships. So many truths in marriage are true in all our relationships. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and be humble. A Christian marriage. And I ask couples in premarital counseling, I ask them. That's a question I always ask. Do you want a Christian marriage? And some of them say, no, we don't. Okay, I don't think I'm your guy then because that's what I do. And then if you do want a Christian marriage, let's talk about what a Christian marriage is. It's a covenant. A Christian marriage is more about holiness than happiness. It's more about seeking Jesus and having him first than it is just a feeling of being happy. A Christian marriage is more about we than me, and that's intentional in a lifestyle. A Christian marriage is more about commitment than feelings. It's a covenant for life. A Christian marriage is also more about love than the law. We need love. That's our greatest need. So a Christian marriage, 
There's a story Stuart and Jill um, Briscoe have uh, been teaching about marriage for a long time throughout our country. They've been married for 50 years. I met a couple last night, or I know a couple in our church last night, 49 years. So we learn from people who've been married a long time. And Stuart and Jill go back to their dating, and they realize they were attracted to each other because they were kind of opposite, and sometimes opposites can attract. Uh, Jill's take on life is a little more of like she knows the details. Is this going to work? There's some caution. Oh, dear, is her phrase. And then Stuart is a little more like, let's go do it. Let's go after this. And his line that they joke about is, I don't see any potential major problem here. Let's go. And, and they need each other, but they've learned how to value and appreciate each other in that balance. Well, when it was time where they were ready to get engaged, uh, they were both working and they had busy schedules. They were going to go to the ring store. It was rush hour. It was busy. And they didn't have much time because they both had to get back to work. And so they ended up going to the first store, getting the first ring. Now, it had three diamonds, his and hers, and then Jesus at the center. There was some symbolism, but they literally just grabbed the first ring. It wasn't quite the romantic uh, time together in terms of choosing a ring that they hoped for. But practically, they had to get back to work. And Jill thought, all right, that's all right. Because, you know, Stuart, with his words, he probably has something he's going to say. So eloquent. It's just going to warm it up. So they get back in the car, and Stuart pulls out the ring, and she places her hand, and he takes the ring, and he puts the ring on her hand, and then he declares, and he says from his heart, well, that's that. Just what every woman dreams of hearing, hurrying through rush hour, grabbing the first ring, putting it in her finger and saying, well, that's that. And when they got home, they had a family friend who was excited to sell them a ring because that was their business. And then they said, no, we already bought a ring. And the family friend said, well, maybe next time. And Stuart said, no, there's not going to be a next time. I said, that's that. And Jill started to warm up a little bit to the phrase, that's that. And over the 50 years, they laugh, they celebrate, and they come back to saying, that's that. Meaning, this is commitment, the two of us, to sacrificially love each other and have Jesus at the center for the rest of our lives. If we're ever tempted to go in either direction, no, that's that. That's that. And they said the difference in their marriage started with conviction before they got married. Marriage starts before marriage where they decided we're going to honor God, we're going to honor his word, and we're going to do things God's way. When it comes to marriage, we're going to do things God's way. Not the culture. We're going to do things God's way. I encourage you today with these seven questions. Don't cut and paste. That's what the culture does. Cut and paste this passage. Don't cut and paste. Just copy, send, enjoy, abide. And you know what you realize? This really works. This really works. When two people are committed to each other, in the man, leadership, serving, sacrificing, and the woman trusting and respecting her husband, this works. And the joy of marriage, this works. God's plan works. I'm going to invite the praise band to come back up right now. We're going to worship together. But I want you right now as they come up, just in the stillness, in the quietness, to talk with God, to listen to God. This might be the most important area right now in terms of your life and trusting God. To move away from stubbornness, to move away from selfishness, to move away from unintentionally undermining, to move away from neglect, and to recommit 
And with that recommitting, there's a healing that comes. Recommit to God, to trusting God. Recommit to his word. Recommit to living for the glory of God as a single. Recommit your marriage. Recommit to living for Jesus in your marriage. To forgive one another for healing, for closeness, for tenderness, for unity in the marriage. What is God speaking to you today? What is God saying to you? You're calling right now to be single. You're calling to be married. What is he saying about focus, unselfishness? God, we lay our lives before you in worship. Our lives are not our own. They're yours. Jesus, our lives were bought at a price. We want to honor you, Jesus. Come with healing. Come with hope. Restoration today. God, restore what's been fractured and strained. Restore today, God, a vision of what marriage is. Restore purity for singles when the culture says purity is impossible. Lord, we're listening and we're praying. We're praying for our families. We're praying for our church family. We're praying for singles and married couples to to get along so well as brothers and sisters. We're praying for generations. We're praying for kids. We're praying for grandkids today, God. We're praying for Auburn, God. We're praying for our nation and the healing we need. We're asking, we're crying out, God. Come into this part of our lives that we so often make a mess of. Come forgive, we ask. Please forgive and restore in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.